around two weeks after my eighth birthday, I started a process that would end up with me being diagnosed with stage four cancer via Wilms tumor affecting my right kidney. Last year at 29, I was diagnosed post-surgery with a malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumor located against the underlining of my left lung. I was living 21 years cancer-free. At least I thought I was. As I'm talking to you, I am cancer-free once again. And I am so thankful. Welcome back to the Shatner Breathe Podcast, Episode 4. I am Sean, and I wholeheartedly want to thank you for being here. This week's episode, I would like to invite you once again into a part of my story, a part that would change my family and I's life forever. As I've said multiple times through the previous episodes that I had a wonderful childhood, wonderful family, wonderful friends, my parents, my sister, my best friend Ronnie, I had many friends at school, I have a big family and we'd have Sunday dinners at my grandparents' house. Spent a lot of time with grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. I had a very happy childhood. I'd go to school, play outside, play inside, go to bed, wishing I could stay up, wake up the next morning and do it all over again. I can't stress enough how thankful I am for the childhood I had. One day in school, it's the first memory I have of when things started going wrong. I was walking in the hallway at school and I started to notice my legs hurting. As I said, I played outside all the time, riding bikes, running, walking, I played basketball in a church league. I was a pretty active kid, so walking in the halls of school were nothing. Kids do it every day. We can almost all relate to that. One day though, my legs started hurting. I'd be walking and they would just ache and throb. It, it got so bad that by the time I got home and got off the bus, I was walking down the road to get home and I started crying. I, I just started crying from the pain. I managed to get off the bus and I kept it together, but about 20 steps in the direction I took to get home, I just lost it because it hurt so bad. Thankfully on this day my mom came up to meet me halfway. From what I remember, she wouldn't normally come up as it was something I did every day. And it was a great neighborhood, but for some reason this day she did. And I thank God for that because the time I made it to her, I was hunching over because they hurt so bad and she carried me home. I honestly can't remember detail for detail the process but because this was something so out of the ordinary my parents got my parents got me checked out obviously we went through my pediatrician they looked up they looked me over and did some tests they mentioned a couple of diagnoses diagnosis diagnose I I don't I don't whatever you know what I'm talking about they mentioned a few possibilities but nothing was making sense got to the point where my parents weren't happy with how I was being treated so they went to get a second opinion they demanded my doctor send their records and all their test results to Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh I don't remember if I had any scans prior to going to Children's or not but whatever the case Children's called us the same day they got my files and told us to be down there the next morning. So we did. I am... I am so thankful to my parents for taking such quick action because if it would have went ignored, things could have turned out a lot differently. As, as we started what would be a long relationship with Children's Hospital. I was nervous, I was scared, I was confused, as I know my family was too. No parent wants to see their child in pain. No parent wants to, wants to have a hospital tell them to be there the very next day after sending their file. 
Plus, no child wants to see their siblings suffering or being gone a lot and not really knowing exactly what's going on. The parents giving so much extra attention to that child who's having medical troubles, a child can't process all that. They're worried, they're confused, but they're also feeling neglected and forgotten sometimes. The child who's going through it is just in the middle of all of it, and there's no way for anybody so young to truly grasp what's, what's going on right away. It takes some time. The moment I realized that something was seriously wrong, and a moment I'll never forget, my parents and I were walking down this hallway, and eventually they were talk talking in this room. I wasn't allowed in on the conversation, but I'm sitting in a chair, and I see and hear my mom crying, and my dad holding her with this look on this look on his face that was lo just lost. It was just white-faced. I didn't like seeing it. It was a look on my dad's face and my mom crying. It just, I, I didn't like seeing that. And they were trying to keep me from seeing it, but I was, I really couldn't help but notice it. You know, you hear, you're not used to hearing your, you know, a parent cry, you know, so I, I heard, I heard it first and then I looked and I seen it and I just didn't like that. When they walked back out, my mom was wiping her eyes and I asked her what was wrong. She told me it was nothing and everything's alright. I never was told what was said to them. Even as I got older, I never asked. You don't want to bring anything up that may bring memories that hurt those you love, even when you're curious. However, let me take a moment to fast forward about, I want to say six years or so from this, from that point. My father and I were part of an organization, and the organization had a junior program for 14 through 18 year olds, which I was part of. The juniors were making a float for a Halloween parade, and we came up with this idea to make tombstones. Now the idea was to write names of famous Halloween characters, Freddy, Jason, Chucky, you know, names like that. But I got a little too specific. I had my name my birthday and year marked to the day of the parade. Well, my dad didn't like that. He made me change it. And I got mad. Paul's been headstrong, stubborn, and being a naive teenager, I got so mad I walked out. I had the attitude of, um, if you want me to do something and then make me change the way I did it, then do it yourself. You know? That's kind of the headspace I had, which I, I still have to a degree, however, context is key with everything, too. Um, read the room, you know. I wasn't reading the room as too well back then, despite um, the heightened senses and stuff. Sometimes you just get too headstrong, sometimes you just get too lost in um, your emotion, your attitude that you just say things that you just say things and do things and don't listen to things you really should. So that's, that's kind of what happened. So I'm mad because I did this. I worked I worked hard on it to get it right, and then I'm told to redo it. So I got mad, and I walked out. The situation was me not realizing where he was coming from. He came outside and talked to me, very angry, to which is where he told me that him and my mother were advised at one point to start making arrangements for me on the chance I didn't recover. That's how serious my case was. Seeing the tombstone I made triggered that for him, and because I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't understand. We had a talk on the way home and it made us both feel better, but I couldn't help but think and still think that's what they were told when I saw my mom start crying. I've never got that image or sound out of my head, even still. I want to I want to try and dive into it all. There are so many layers to this onion and I want to 
try to get to each of them and give them the proper attention to better explain it as well as maybe provide some insight or comfort to others who may have gone through this as well as people who may know somebody who's going through it and aren't quite sure how to understand it be honest there's no understanding it fully things like that can only be lived through and seen and that's the case with any major hardship in life the beautiful parts of a bad experience are the pictures we're able to paint pictures that hopefully allow others who may walk into a similar scene to see clear I think it would be best to begin with how it, how it developed how the situation evolved and how my body reacted now I do apologize as my memory isn't the most reliable sometimes I'm trying to make sure I have my memory accurate but I could make some mistakes in timeline and miss some things I was pretty young and so much seemed to happen at once so it's really not surprising that I may struggle with perfectly accurate details but I'm doing my best to properly recount everything relevant to what happened I know I'm sadly could have could have a lot left out just because I can't remember exactly and I don't want to say anything that's not accurate as I've mentioned it started with weakness in my legs to explain the pain as best I can it wasn't it was sort of like this severe muscle ache in the calf and thigh that would send waves of pain back and forth through my knee it felt as if I had just walked a flight of stairs over and over for hours during this period of me having these pains I can remember walking through stores and my legs getting sore so easy to where I had to sit in the buggy after a while or just go back to the car the reasoning for this to our understanding was that the tumor was actually interfering with the blood flow to my legs causing them to weaken this was the direct symptom to us eventually finding out what I had my doctor who oversaw my testing treatments and overall health was Dr. Donna Patton she was the absolute perfect doctor for a children's hospital she'd wear these green brown patterned pants with these eccentric sweaters she'd have this wild hair and was always smiling she, she had this little flashlight with a fish cover that she'd use and it would make me laugh to see it sadly though I was such a shy kid I think I only ever looked at her directly maybe twice she'd always say and she always would say I'd end up with a giraffe's neck if I keep looking down all the time she was so kind to me she treated me my parents with the utmost respect and truly valued her patience as I'm sure she still does there was even a time where I had to have a biopsy done thankfully I don't remember going through those but my parents and I were discussing this a few months back which is why I actually remember this happening but <clears throat> but I had a biopsy done which I assume was to diagnose what they believed it was and so I had it done somebody comes a time later and says that they're gonna need to do another biopsy my father asked him what they needed to do another biopsy for and the guy started getting attitude with my dad and implying that he wouldn't understand the reasoning and that it just needed done they started arguing about it to which mouthing off to my father and trying to imply his intelligence to him is a one-way ticket to not having a good day I'll say that much um, but they they started arguing about it Dr. Patton seen them going back and forth and she learned what the argument was about and she made the guy tell my parents why they needed another biopsy she told him she, she flat out told him you're gonna tell them what he needs another biopsy done for and you're gonna tell them now turns out the lab or whoever this guy was lost my first one 
somehow lost my first biopsy. He decided to try and instead of admitting that to my parents, he decided to try and belittle my parents, which he soon regretted. How they managed to lose my first biopsy, I have no idea, but things got sorted out and everything proceeded as they should with Dr. Patton calming my father down and giving the other guy a much needed attitude adjustment, as I'm sure he heard from her again in private. I regret so much I regret so much that I was so shy around her because she was honestly so incredible to me and somebody who I may not have looked up at but I certainly look up to especially today to have the tumor removed obviously I had to have surgery before my surgery I mean right before I went back into the operating room and my parents gave me this brown stuffed rabbit to take with me to hold my surgeon, Dr. Edward Barksdale Jr., performed what was supposed to be a four-hour surgery that ended up being an eight-and-a-half-hour surgery that left a scar completely across my stomach that removed my kidney, along with, obviously, the tumor that was growing from it. He finished the surgery up. He spoke with my parents and explained how it went, why it took as long as it did, and I was put into recovery as they waited for me to come out of anesthesia. If memory serves me right from what I was told, I think it did take me a while to wake from that surgery, but considering the time it took, I really can't be that surprised. When I woke up, I was laying in bed, and I had my stuffed rabbit with me. I was right there under my arm. I eventually got to see my parents. Eventually, I ended up naming my rabbit Furball because I actually ended up getting one because of him, and I thought it was an appropriate name. While I was still in the hospital, I got visited from so many people. Gift baskets, cards, stuffed animals, seeing friendly faces, smiling at me, telling me how strong I was, and so much positivity. And that's so important in situations like that. I was in a hospital bed. There were points I wasn't allowed to drink anything but sponge drops of water on my tongue. I had a tube in my nose, I had a catheter. It honestly all blends together at this point. I can't remember accurately the order of events happening. I know for a fact though, despite everything going on, having that positive support system really made such an impact and a difference. My stay at Children's had some great moments. It had some bad from the obvious reasons of being there. To get the bad out of the way, because I'm a bad news first type of person. There was a moment where I was woken up from my sleep and taken to get a sponge bath. I was startled, I was scared, and I was screaming for them to let me go, and they were hell-bent on giving me the sponge bath. Honestly, thinking back on it, it feels like a nightmare. My parents had stepped out for a bit. There was really no re reason to question it. It was quiet, calm. I was fast asleep in what should be the safest place you can be. But the timing was just bad. No fault to them whatsoever. My mother never left my side. This was legit one of the absolute only rare times where she was not in my room. So this was just the timing was horrible because my mom never left my side very rarely back to the story though my dad was walking back to my room first he could hear me screaming from the place where they took me to do the sponge bath to be honest with you I I remember it as as if it was a completely different area but it may have just been the room bathroom however I honestly don't know which it was. All I know and all I remember is I was woken up, taking somewhere that wasn't my bed, and being prepped for a sponge bath I did not want. So my dad heard me screaming and crying and tracked me down very quickly. From what I do remember, it was these two nurses who were doing it, and my dad asked them what, what was going on.
They explained to him they were trying to give me the sponge bath, and he basically told them, not like this or not. I can't clearly remember if they had already started it or if it was only prep, but I just know they were trying to do it. My dad heard my terror and put on immediate stop to it, and it got me back to my room. I mean, key word of advice. If you're trying to give a child a sponge bath in the hospital, and they're crying and not wanting it to happen, and their parents aren't around, probably leave the kid alone, you know? Just uh, in case that sense wasn't too common to you already. <clears throat> Now, when I have moments like this where I can't remember it very clear, sometimes I question if it even really happened. I know for a fact this happened, though, because my parents and I have spoken about it a few times. Everything I'm telling you here is something I know happened. And if I'm unsure about it, I'll let it be known. I really wish I could remember the details better. I could ask my dad for a clearer picture of how things went, but I don't like bringing that period up unless I have to, or it comes up naturally. Another bad experience I had was my own fault. Um, I had a tube through my nose, and one night, in my sleep, or perhaps even a day nap, I had moved a certain way and pulled it out. Now, I can't remember 100% if that woke me up or not, but I believe it did, and I started crying and panicking over it, but that may have just been a false memory. What I know for sure, though, is I was awake while they had to put it back in. I can tell you that for a fact, because I was not about that one bit. I can remember the burning sensation of it going through my nostrils and down my throat, and I just just wiggling like a fish while I tried to fight them off because it hurt. I'm this kid who's been through all this stuff, and so naturally you're more on edge over everything. I'm still on edge over everything <laughs> to this day because just it 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 scars you. It really does. But nevertheless, they got the tube back in, down my nose, into my stomach. Not so much then, but the funny part looking back on it now is when it came time to take it out. Anybody who's been in a hospital for a while knows that when days come where you start losing tubes and wires connected to you, those are happy days. Well, this day when I was meant to lose the tube through my nose, Sean was not very happy. He was not. <laughs> now, yes, being told we're going to get rid of that tube now is a very wonderful thing to hear. However, remember the pain of when it came out, which now I do actually remember. I did wake it. It did wake me up. See, the more you talk about something, the more you start to, you start clearing those clouds a bit from the map. Um, it did wake me up. Uh, when I pulled it out and. I was in fact crying, I was in fact a crying upset mess. So when I'm told I'm getting my tube out, I remember the pain and discomfort I had, and I am so not about it. I start flailing my arms, saying no, no, don't dig it out, just getting all worked up, panicked. My parents are trying to calm me down, reminding me that it's a good thing, and once it's out, it's out. I wasn't having any of it though. I was fighting, jerking, moving around, moving around so much that I end up once again pulling it out of my nose myself. I swear to God, it. <laughs> I was so determined to keep this tube in my nose that I pulled it out myself by accident again. Incredible. I still just looking back on that one. Incredible. But <laughs> so I'm laying there crying. My nose and throat burning, feeling stupid. 
but the tube was out, and once I calmed down, I was happy with it. Yeah, it it, it is very possible for an eight-year-old to feel a complete stripping of dignity. <laughs> now, more importantly, to get into the good experiences I had, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh take so much pride in how they deal with the children who unfortunately need their help. While I was staying there, they had an activity for the kids to do every single day. The few I remember are one day we would paint. I remember the thick paint brushes with the bright colors. They even had little easels for us to use. Another day we actually made coasters which We'd, we'd usually use tiny square pieces of some hard material. Um, maybe porcelain, I'm, I'm not too certain, honestly. And we'd glue them onto this wooden square board. Thankfully, I actually still have it. It's on my side desk right now. One day, I think we even worked with Play-Doh or a clay of some kind. They had so many things for us kids to do to help distract us from the fact we were sick and unable to go home. They would also bring activities to the room. One day there was a woman who came in who was a paleontologist. She had a cute little presentation of dinosaurs, pictures, and cutouts, and things like that. The coolest part of that day was she actually gave me a fossil to keep. It was this this palm-sized claw it was so cool it was hard heavy and it felt as if it was actually it felt as if I was actually holding the claw of a dinosaur and it was just something that was so special to me sadly I lost it I have no idea whatever happened to it uh, possibly could have been lost in a move um, but I hope maybe somehow another child or a person who really enjoys things like that could have found it and has it with them. But um, I certainly wish I still had it because that, that was so cool to me. Another day they had a service dog brought in. I remember a green vest over top of this white fur. I believe it was a St. Bernard, but I could be wrong. Uh... Funny side note, I was actually scared crazy of dogs up until about 10. Maybe a few months before turning 10. I'll come back to this in a bit as it ties into something else. However, I wasn't too scared of this one because I was in a high bed and he was on a leash at the end and walked around the sides and I could reach him but I wasn't too scared. He was soft as cotton and was just such a beacon of joy and peace to see that it was a wonderful experience and made me smile wide. Between the hospital and the hematology oncology clinic, the doctors, the technicians, the nurses, they were also comforting as well. The waiting rooms almost always had a TV with a Nintendo or a PlayStation hooked up to it. The nurses would always have bright colors, smiles on their faces. There's a ultrasound technician who would always make me laugh. I would laugh at him and tell my mom he must have went to clown college. I would get stickers from everyone. Honestly, by the time life returned a bit more of normalcy, I had this heavy fat pouch full of stickers from from saving them and putting them inside it to keep. Some nights I just look through them and smile. Little reminders of that. Little reminders that you can find some joy through harsh experiences. I may not have understood that's what I was noticing, but looking back I know it was. Sometimes we'll do things that bring us joy and we may not know why it brings us such a joy or such a different um, healing feeling until later in life when we look back and we're like that's why I like that so much and I just I just like looking back on things like that this was all back when children's was 
right next to Presby, and that's where my radiologist was, Dr. Deutsch. He was not a very pleasant man. I'll just say that now. He wasn't mean. However, he was very blunt, and that's not a great attribute towards a child. However, he was, as I'm sure still is, a wonderful doctor. He was a key part of getting me better and making sure that nothing came back. I'm beyond thankful for him as much as I'm thankful for every doctor, nurse, tech, receptionist, specialist I encountered. In his waiting room, I remember playing with little dinosaurs or doing I Spies and Where's Waldo's with my parents and sister sometimes. Honestly, my stay at Children's Hospital was something that was handled absolutely well. Despite a few issues, they were always resolved and handled. I'll, for the rest of my life, be thankful to Children's for how they treated me, how they treated my parents, as well as not just me, but for all the young lives they save every year. They were a big part of my life from 8 until about 24 or 25 when I aged out. And the, the, the wonderful thing about Children's though is they are open and willing to see their former patients return if they ever need to. Which I actually did last year. And I'll touch on that more as well with that part. So I get my tumor removed. The next step to go into with you guys is afterwards where I had to go through chemotherapy. Because of me having to go through chemo, I had a Broviac catheter put in via surgery. And if you don't know what that is, it's a long, soft tube that's placed into your skin that's routed to a large vein. It's, it's used when somebody will be going through a long period of IV therapy. I actually have two scars attributed to that catheter. They inserted the tubing through my neck where they tunneled it through a vein and then exited out through the right side of my chest. So I have a scar on the right side of my neck as well as the upper right side of my chest because of it. Having this tubing made it where I had to have a nurse come in, come to the house and clean the dressing. I can't remember if it was every day or every other day, but it seemed it, it seemed frequent. The women who would do it were always so kind and friendly. One even gave me a fishing vest and a tackle box full of equipment and trout bait one day. Just Just warm personalities and kind presences. Because of the tubing, I wasn't able to really do much in terms of physical activities. I had a concern not only because I was now missing a kidney, but because of the caution of not pulling or catching my tubes on anything. They were very secured, but you still never know what can happen, so I was just very limited. Also, because of the chemo, I wasn't able to be in sunlight too long, which means I was even more limited. My parents used to be part of this organization, and every year there would be a summer picnic. I always look forward to it, too, because a lot of my friends, cousins, and my sister and I were there and, and would enjoy the park aspect of the locations we'd be at. We'd be playing for hours there, but this year I had to sit under the pavilion almost the entire time because I just couldn't be out in that direct sunlight or risk something happening with my tubing. Not to mention the fact that I wouldn't have had energy really to enjoy myself even without the already mentioned limitations. So, that was hard to do. As kids, at least when I was a kid, the plan is always being outside with friends and having that and having that not being allowed was hard to deal with. Another thing that most know comes with chemotherapy my hair started to fall out. Now that is something that's not very easy to handle as an eight-year-old. I always had 
thick, full hair. When I was even younger, I had this long, thick, beautiful, dirty, blonde hair that would get me on a few occasions being called a little girl, to which my mom would get annoyed with. It happened quite often, so reasonably so. I always had this healthy, full hair, though, and seeing it falling out, feeling my head getting lighter and not really understanding why was a very hard thing to deal with. Honestly, I think I may have been my first taste of intense anxiety. And now I'll tell you why I think that. It was, uh... It was hard for me to understand it all, but it was also not an easy task for other kids to understand it either. One instance I remember pretty clearly was one day when I was playing. I can't remember the kids' names, but I was playing with this brother and sister and a couple other kids. Because I was starting to feel weird about my hair falling out, I started wearing hats more. Well, while playing, I'm wearing this hat and I refused to take it off. The kid was asking me why I wouldn't take it off and I just kept saying I didn't want to. Well, we all know how kids can be. He reaches for my hat and tries to take it off of my head. I'm holding on to it to keep it from being taken. That's where the memory starts to get blurry from me. I can't remember if he did get it off or if I kept it on and just went home. I think I was able to keep it on my head and I I just left, but um I know how I felt. I had this anxiety about my hair and other people seeing it. I then got this dose of fear that fear of the idea that somebody can come and just take my protection from this anxiety away from me. I was honestly scared to be around other kids after that. At least kids who weren't my best friends like Ronnie, his brother Michael, and Reed who were my little crew back when I lived where I lived back then. But yeah, for the first time in my young life, I felt this force of worry and discomfort from something that wasn't in front of me. Something I couldn't see. So I really feel like those insecurities with my hair and my new way of life were the roots of the anxiety I still struggle with today. I'm not a professional, but I mean, you can't help but wonder if it's tied in. Everything comes from somewhere, so it's possible. Also worth noting at this point, I was being homebound taught and wasn't going to school. I was in third grade when this happened. Mrs. Has class, such a wonderful teacher. We'd also see her every once in a while at the township fair as well. I wasn't able to finish out the year though, so instead I had to... I had a teacher come to our house and teach me, whose name was Crystal. She was so kind and sweet, and she was just an absolute beautiful woman in all aspects who helped me feel relaxed as I had to adjust to this new way of learning without a classroom. My parents and I both, all three of us valued her so much, still do. We even invited her to my graduation party later, and she showed up, which meant so much to me. She said she was touched we had even remembered or thought to reach out, but honestly, we were touched she felt the same way. So, I'm going through the stage of my life where I'm very sheltered, I'm very limited and weak, and because of the treatments and everything 
At one point, I believe it was because of the chemo, I had developed jaundice. My skin, the whites of my eyes were tinted with a shade of yellow. For that, I had to have a procedure to have stents placed into my liver to help clear the blockage causing the condition. Eventually, I was able to have my Broviac tube removed, and I'll be honest with you, I don't remember when or how that happened. I'm trying to remember that part, but it's completely gone from my attainable memory. I have seemed to lost that file. Um, however, I did have it removed. The jaundice did go away, and I recovered, and so began my journey into a post-cancer life. Not too long after this, we had moved into a new place. So in a big sense, it really was a new life for me. A new home, a new neighborhood, and a new way of seeing the world. There was also something else that would soon change. Going back to when I said that I was afraid of dogs, well, after I had my Breviac tube taken out and was healed up and doing well, we all decided that perhaps it was time to get a dog. Yeah, even I was willing to get a dog because I knew we'd have gates up to protect me. <laughs> Plus, it would be a puppy. I may have felt like a weak, scared child, but I could surely fend off a puppy. I found out puppies are equally as terrifying, though. Not for long, however. <laughs> One day, um, the day comes where it's time to go look at a shelter for a dog. My dad comes back and comes inside and says he didn't find anything. He then asks my sister to go out and grab a box from the truck. My sister goes out and I'm on the porch and as she turns the corner I see her holding this cardboard box with this absolutely adorable dark black spaniel sitting in it with these beautiful brown eyes looking right at me. I can still remember so clearly his face, his ears, his eyes, that adorable nose. When I tell you my heart was taken instantly, I honestly mean it. I was nervous, but I was in such awe of how beautiful this little soul was. We ended up naming him Jet because of his color being so jet black. We gave him two T's though. I can't remember the length of time it was, but I don't think it was too long. I would not be in the same room with him unless somebody had him. Either holding him or on a leash of some sorts. Like, I was afraid, so my parents just didn't force me to immediately get over it. It was a process. One day, however, I'm coming out from a hallway, and the gates are up. I see him sleeping. He's not leashed or anything, he's just sleeping by the couch. So I go over the gate and I start walking towards the kitchen. And those, those big brown eyes open. We're just staring at each other. <laughs> he gets up and I take off like a bat out of hell towards the kitchen where another gate was. And I jump. My foot catches the top of the gate and I crash. I don't know what was worse, the pain or how stupid I felt, but I got ran out of the room by a puppy. This is a no shame zone, okay? <laughs> After that point, I think it clicked in my head that this, is this fear worth the pain? And I started to slowly work up being around him. Of course it got to the point where I was no longer scared of dogs, I owe that to my sweet jet. After he warned me up the dogs, I was able to be around my cousin's dogs too, which was so wonderful. The fact I missed out on so many fluffy cuddles is heartbreaking. But that sweet little black Springer Cocker Spaniel mixed angel showed me a new kind of love I had been missing out on. Sadly, my jet passed away on July 5th, 2011.
but he's never left our hearts. We named our next dog, who's still very healthy, and my buddy after him. Jet loved helicopters. He'd always watch them when they'd pass by, so we named him Chopper. He's a chocolate lab German Shepherd mix, and we love him to pieces. That's my boy. I also want to mention this before we before we even moved while everything was still going on we were contacted by the organization Make-A-Wish who came to our house and sat down and talked to us for a while the two that came to us were their names were Ron and Pat this wonderful married couple who showed us so so much compassion and warmness during the talk they gave me a piece of paper and said draw something for us draw something that you would wish for and I'm paraphrasing this was 22 years ago but that's how I remember them that's how I, that's how I remember them saying it so I drew the Disney castle when I was healthy enough and able Make-A-Wish sent my parents, my sister, and I to Walt Disney World in Florida for a week. Completely paid for, flights to and back, given spending money, and we stayed at the Give Kids the World Village, which was absolutely incredible. Inside the village, they had a mascot named Mayor Clayton. He's still around. I follow, um, I follow the Give Kids the World Village on Facebook, and I still see pictures of him, so that's pretty cool. He would ride around, walk around the village and talk and walk around the village and visit the families, even tuck the kids in before bed. Now I'll be honest, I was never a fan of that part because I was always wanting to stay up later, so my mom would just tell me, Just let him tuck you in, you don't gotta stay there. <laughs> it was just funny looking back on it and it was such a sweet and wonderful gesture. It really was such an amazing experience. Every time we'd leave the place we were staying at, when we'd leave for the day, we'd come back and there would be a gift inside waiting. Every night, there was a there was an area where you could order food and it didn't cost anything out of pocket, as it was just part of the village. You'd just order something to eat, they'd make it for you, and you'd go about your adventure. There was a place called the Castle of Miracles where. You'd go and they'd give you a star to personalize and it would get placed on the ceiling there. Everyone's so wonderful and kind and welcoming, honestly. It, it felt as cliche as it may sound, like the greatest place on earth. And I was there with my favorite people on earth. While we were down there, while we were down there, we went to SeaWorld. Universal Studios, obviously Disney World itself. We even got to go to the real life Pizza Planet. I had a personal pan pizza and it was this full arcade. Absolutely amazing. One of my favorite parts down there. My sister and I had a blast running around the bottom floor arcade while our parents were sitting up on the second floor looking down from the table. We had, we had our table up there. It was on a balcony and we had the table right next to the edge so they were able to just kind of look down on us and see us having fun. I was still having to be shaded from the sun, which yes, imagine that in Florida, but not as severely as before, and my parents were the reason I was able to enjoy myself safely and comfortably. I honestly can't praise them enough. Also, my sister getting to have an amazing time too was something special. And plus she was kind enough to get me autographs from Disney characters I was too afraid to go up to. Honestly, having fun myself, but seeing my parents enjoying themselves and and just getting time with my sister was so nice. It, it had been such a hard year for all of us. And it really did so much for us. I honestly want to take the time right now to speak my appreciation for Make-A-Wish, give kids the world for what they did for us and so many kids. 
families going through such a hard time <clears throat> they truly can they, they truly cannot get thanked enough for what they do and I was am and for, will forever be thankful for all they did and all they continue to do I'm, I'm genuinely so grateful so from everything that had, that had been going on my entire life had to be adjusted when I returned to school in fourth grade a new school mind you which again it was a whole new chapter in my life I had to make sure I was extra careful I couldn't play too rough and I also had to explain why I wasn't in school last year like I said we moved so I technically was being homebound from my new school not my previous let me also say before I forget my previous school were so amazing they went in and actually bought me a Game Boy Color and some games along with a carry case for it I also got so many letters from my classmates telling me to get well soon and which I actually still have matter of fact I was just just went through them a few months ago with when I was cleaning <clears throat> They were so wonderful. I actually did have a an official last day at my school too. I remember because Mrs. Haz actually had a little party for me before I left. And the funny moment was one of the kids, Trevor, who was kind of a bully, but nothing like severe. Just he was one of those pick on everyone types, but I'll never forget him looking at me on my last day and saying, Hey, Thanks for the apples and caramel, <laughs> because that's what we had. Just it, it's one of those moments, you know, and it was like a genuine, you know, thank you just for a snack. And it was just, it was just something that I look back on and laugh over, because it was just so funny, you know, because like you know, one of the one of the class kind of attitude kids just giving you this completely genuine but so random compliment on your last day there honestly he's such a great guy I got I got to really get along with him when I seen him again on a few school trips with the district and being back in classes with him in junior high I just always remembered that he's a good guy he still is also I really want to make sure I give appreciation while I have the chance Ron and Pat from Make-A-Wish would also give me another gift for my birthday I had always wanted this Superman action figure that came with um, Clark Kent that you could take off and reveal Superman and my parents couldn't find it anywhere this toy was like non-existent but Ron and Pat actually tracked this thing down and gave it to me I'm pretty sure I cried a little they're just such wonderful people back to school though I would I would get questions about why I wasn't in school the last year because my teachers would mention that technically I've been a student since then. So of course, kids being curious, they're going to ask. I'd go through the story, I had cancer, I lost a kidney over it, wasn't able to come to school until I got better. Eventually I got around and I'd have kids come up to me and that I didn't know asking if it was true that I only had one kidney that that's what fascinated a lot of these kids that's one of those things you really can't prepare for is the eruption of questions you're going to be asked and being asked them so often I actually really liked my new school though it and I got an instant crush on a beautiful girl named Kara who is absolutely a gorgeous person and is doing very well these days um, we're not connected at all these days, but I like to check up on people who I've lost touch with sometimes to make sure they're doing good. There's not a lot of people from school who I keep in contact with now. I'm friends with a couple of them on Facebook. And there's a few that I still will talk to and um, things like that. Not a whole lot, though. But that, I think it's kind of normal with high school and elementary school. But um, I will go back, and the ones that I 
that I actually do still care about and really appreciated when I had them in my life. I'll go back and like I look on their Facebook pages and see what they're up to and just get just really get happy and smile when I see them doing good. So yeah, that was my introduction process into a new life of a child who unfortunately seen this dark side of life. A dark side of life that thankfully was masked with so much love and compassion to help me through it. <clears throat> through the years though, as we get older and our bodies and minds develop, we sometimes have these side effects of things that happen to us. Anybody who's had the wretched circumstances of having cancer knows that it's not just the disease. It's what it does to you. It changes you in ways you don't realize at the time. You see different, you think different, you slowly become this evolved persona of yourself that's both enlightening as well as damning. Like all things though, it it's how we handle what we put through. And that's what guides us towards who we're meant to be. I hate the way it hurt my family. Seeing them going through it all was just hard. I know my parents hated seeing me going through it, but it hurt me seeing them suffering too. My sister... My sister was so young, knowing so much attention was on me, it didn't go unnoticed that she would have to be feeling a bit neglected. My parents tried so hard to help make it easier. My grandmothers, my great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody knows cancer thrives on spreading, but it doesn't just stop in the body. It spreads through your loved ones. It spreads through your loved ones as well. So, never forget how much they need some love too. When, when someone's going through that. Honestly, I could, uh, I could keep going, and I want to keep going. But this has gone on much longer than I anticipated. Um, easily my longest episode yet, my longest podcast yet. Um, I can't say I'm surprised as there's a lot to unpack, but I do think this is a good point to leave off for now. Give myself, as well as you listening, a chance to decompress, so to speak. Next week will be the part two to this episode. This is four and five is going to kind of be a part one, part two type of thing. Um, as next week I will get into what happened last year and how I came face to face with something from my past that I had long thought was behind me forever. And I certainly hope that you'll join me again for that. I truly appreciate every single one of you who are listening right now. I know this was a long one. I really don't see myself as somebody, someone will dedicate this amount of time towards listening to me speak. But anxiety will do that to you. Anxiety and self-confidence issues will have you believing that you're not worth listening to. And if you feel that way and you're listening to this, your story is worth telling. Don't let your insecurities stop you from lighting somebody else's path. There's people that you may not even know that are going to be thankful for you telling your story. So I highly recommend you do any way you can. So when I say this, 
please know I mean it from the bottom of my heart all the way to the top. Thank you so much for being here with me and giving me your time. I pray the rest of your day is as wonderful as you are. This is the Shatter and Breathe Podcast. I am Sean, and until next time, be safe, be thankful, and God bless.